0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. I think you can guess where we're going to be again today. The last two times we've been in Isaiah, the last two times I've taught we've been in Isaiah, we're going to stay there. I'm actually done with chapter 55, and that's where we'll be this morning. So, if you all want to turn there, we'll be in chapter 55. And Sherman was kind enough to put another slide up there, but I told him I thought that's where I was going to be. And so, he put those verses up there, but you're not going to get to see them because I'm going farther than those verses are. So, <laughs> this is all you get to see this morning. Um, there's blank notes there. Uh, we will be in other places in the scriptures. So, you know, if you're interested, write those things down and, and uh, look them up for yourself later. Right? I, I don't challenge you to do that. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to look up the things that, that uh, we read from the Word here this morning. We are going to be doing some talking about reading from the Word today. Um, I think that's what I did last time. We talked about reading from the Word and refreshing yourself with the Holy Spirit and the Word of, the, of God every day. We're gonna go over that a little bit and then we're gonna keep going on after that. We're actually gonna focus the majority of our time on verses three through five today. Um, But let's read the whole of Isaiah 55. Is everybody there? Okay, here we go. And it begins. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people's a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call the nation that you do not know, and the nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Praise the Lord. If if you guys are here long enough, I'm going to give you just a little hint of what happens in verse 13. Just going to give you the, 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 the two trees there that are mentioned. This is not even in my notes. This is a freebie. Not even in my notes. The cypress tree speaks of immortality. Someday we're gonna be immortal. Think those of us that love the Lord and believe in him, there's gonna come a time when we're raised again and we go to live with him forever. That's immortality. Think about it. You're mortal now, but you won't be then. And then the myrtle, the myrtle tree speaks of hope. Our hope in him. So that's a preview for I don't know when because I have no idea when I'm teaching next. It's so, you know, maybe Maybe we'll get to that in the next year or so. I hope so. Anyway, just a quick preview. So it has been uh, about five or six weeks since I last had the opportunity to share with all of you. And I'm hoping that most of you, I know Diana was shaking her head up and down. And she kind of remembered what I talked about uh, here in Isaiah. And first, we took some time to look at that clear picture of salvation that's printed, presented to us in, in verse 1. And, and we saw there that the only requirement that... oops that we have to have that we have to bring to the table in this is that clear understanding that we need that water of salvation that's the only thing we have to bring god does the rest of it he brings everything else to the table when verse one says come everyone who thirsts that really means that a person has to know they're thirsty that they are a sinner who is in need of salvation. And I know that all of us that I know, I know most all of you, and I know all of you were at that place at one time. You were at that place where you realized that you were thirsty for what God had for you, and you needed what he had for you. And we know also that in that verse 1, it says there that we don't have any money. In other words, we can't pay the price for salvation. And Thank God it was paid for us. It was paid for us by Jesus himself. So we can come freely and eat. Even though we don't have any money, we can't pay the price, and the only thing we bring to the table is our hunger. That's it. We just come. It's like going to potluck without food. You just go and eat anyway because nobody cares, right? And and everybody cares that you come, and that's how God is. He doesn't care that you can't bring food to the table. He doesn't care that you can't pay for it. He just cares that you're hungry and that you want to come. That's all he cares about. So we get that. That we can eat freely, and and it is a total blessing that He gave that to us. So salvation is the gift of grace, priceless because it's free to us. But even more importantly, priceless because we cannot even begin to imagine the cost that Christ had to pay. You go and read Revelation. Ann and I are going to a study in Revelation um, on Saturday nights, and. We talked there In Revelation, if you get into Revelation, you'll find that it talks a lot about uh, in chapters like oh, 12 through 18 or so, um, all the judgments that are poured out, the ultimate wrath of God. We can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. And I personally am so thankful that I won't have to pay that price. Uh, But I I can't begin to imagine the price that Christ paid in that ultimate wrath of God. That he knew he was going to have to endure when he prayed on the mountain and he was sweating drops of blood. He knew what was coming. He knew the separation from God and what it would cost him for those moments that he was separated. That price that he had to pay. I can't imagine the cost. I'm so glad it's free to me. So, because it's free, we get all the benefits. We get the waters of the Holy Spirit who comes to live with us. We get the wine which represents joy. Look at the if we if we look at, at the cup on the table, when it's the wine there, what does that wine bring us? That when you drink the cup, it brings us joy. Um when when Jesus performed the first miracle in Cana, you know, what did he do? He made wine for a party. He made wine for a wedding. And that brought those people joy. So that we get that wine of joy and we get milk, which is the beginnings of the word of God, you know. We get quite a free gift for those of us who have chosen to accept grace. I think it's pretty cool. In verse 2, we see Isaiah chastising Israel for spending money and laboring for things that do not satisfy. He calls the things that do satisfy bread. So the things that do not satisfy are obviously not bread. He's saying the things that, which are not bread and do not satisfy And the people are spending altogether too much time chasing those things, which will never permanently satisfy them. I thought about that again, and I thought, hmm, there is a deep need inside of us for something that will permanently satisfy. I mean, I I got water, and that satisfies for a minute. And I can go eat a hamburger, and that satisfies for a few hours. Um, I can have fellowship with you, and that satisfies me for quite a bit more time than that but eventually I have a need for more. It doesn't. Nothing, nothing we have here on earth permanently satisfies us. Only the eternal things of Christ can permanently satisfy that need. So we chase after more and more and bigger and better things, but they only satisfy for a little while. The true peace and contentment will only come when we realize that we need to first seek after God. In fact, Jesus said it. He told us all that in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And I think you'll all know it when I start reading. You could probably follow along and many of you will be able to watch your lips moving, you know. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And it says there, Therefore, I tell you, this is Christ talking to us. Do not be anxious about your life For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And we're not going to teach about that last line, but I, I think you guys kinda kind of get that last line, right? Today's worry about today today. worrying about tomorrow today doesn't add to today and doesn't make today any easier. Um, I told Lori I wasn't going to chase too many rabbits. Doesn't make today any easier. It, it doesn't get your life any better worrying about tomorrow. And worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow is not going to take care of tomorrow. It's not going to make tomorrow any better even it's not going to make today any better it's not going to make tomorrow any better so why do it you're going to get enough in life for today and and god is going to supply your needs through that every single day so seek him first let him supply your needs okay that's it so what do we seek first the kingdom of god and how is the best way for us to seek and find out about his kingdom y'all know it's this thing right here y'all got one Some of you got two. I think I got 10 at least. Okay. Seek that. And did you see this one? I'm going to have to get a new one soon because this one's full of notes. I got to start over. So seek him by reading his word. Refresh yourself every day just as he refreshes his mercies unto you every morning. If we look four verses down here at verse 6, it says what? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The word seek here in verse 6, that's the, that's the Hebrew word deresh. And it means to frequent in pursuit. So it doesn't mean just to pursue the word. It means to do it frequently. There, It is not just look at it and not just read it, but do it all the time. That's how we get satisfied. That's how we understand who God is for us in our lives. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. So we're going to move on to verses 3 and 4. Okay, back in Isaiah 55, verses 3 and 4, it says, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David behold i made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples by the way when i was reading through this and god was telling me this is what i'm gonna teach for a while whenever i stand up here these this verse these two verses scared me (laughs) they really did i was like uh what does that really mean and and finally it was like two weeks ago and god said well look at this and i went oh yeah that works okay so here, we're first being told to incline our ears. Literally, it means to stretch towards what's being spoken. That'd be like, I'm talking and you all started leaning like this, not because you're deaf, but because you wanted to hear it better. You wanted to hear it more. I do it because I'm going deaf, fast. my She wants me to get hearing aids. But, but we do that because we're interested in what we're hearing. We want to incline towards that. We want to really pay attention. We, and that's what it means when it says, come to me. It means to purposefully walk towards the speaker. In this case, who's the speaker? It's not Isaiah. These are God's words through Isaiah. It's God, God's talking to us. We want to walk towards that. We, we want to be involved with that. We want to have fellowship with God. We want to read his word and begin to understand who he is, not just for us, but for every one of us. If we look at this as it follows verse number two, where we're talking about reading the word every day, we see the how to of our now frequent pursuit, right? Because deresh means to frequently pursue. We see the how to of our now frequent pursuit of the word of God. We incline our ears, we read it carefully. There should be purpose in what we're doing. It should not never be. Don't, if, if you're going to pick this up and read it because, you know, you have a little thing that says, this is how I read through the whole thing in a year, and you're just checking that box, I encourage you to put it down. I seriously would encourage you, just, just put it down. Don't even pick it up and read it. Because if, you're not, if your purpose is just to check the box so you can say, I read the Bible in a year, or I read the Bible through once, why are you doing that? Because what is that for you, a point of pride, right? It would be a point of pride. And I'm I'm going to challenge you, read about pride in the Bible, tell you, you don't really want to have that in your life if you can help it. Pursue the word because you want to pursue the word. Not because it's going to check off some box. And if we look at the next five words there, it says, hear that your soul may live. Now, if you wanna hear it, you actually have to read it. And I challenge you sometime, sit in your chair and read it out loud to yourself. You actually hear it. You will, you will remember more from hearing what you read than from just reading it with your eyes. It may be weird and people, you know, and your wife may walk by and go, okay. But in this case, it's the right thing. The word here isn't the, it's just quite as simple either as, oh, okay, yeah, I hear you. Um, it's the Hebrew word shema, which means to hear intelligently, to listen with attention. And I want you to get this, the last thing it really means is to listen with obedience in mind. So when you read the word, the idea here is that you're coming close to God You're really listening with intelligence. You're trying to pay attention. You're trying to think about what's being read here. And you're listening with the fact that if God tells you something, you're gonna actually listen and obey, right? You're not just gonna shine it quite on. We don't shine God on, don't shine God on. I don't think I need to say more than that about that. If you're living the life of a Christian, live it with purpose, live it with meaning. It's not a willy nilly kind of thing. And I wanted to give you one quick example, because this happened to me just on Friday morning. I was reading, um, and, and not bragging, but these, these are places where I had scriptures that I looked up for this. These are places where I'm reading every day. And actually, there's one more, but I didn't have another blue sticky thing. So, um, In my daily reading, I'm reading Psalms and Proverbs. And I'm reading Psalms and Proverbs, and then I'm going back and I'm reading Psalms and Proverbs, and then I'm going back and I'm reading Psalms and Proverbs. Why I'm doing that is because God said, read Psalms and Proverbs. And he didn't tell me to go on to like Job or uh, Isaiah, or I'm reading Isaiah because of this. What are we doing here this morning? Uh, And so I'm actually reading Isaiah 1 through 61, 1 through whatever. And I'm reading it and I'm reading it. And... And then I'm also reading, uh, I was reading Romans because Sherman was teaching in Romans. And then I was reading first Corinthians and now I'm actually reading second Corinthians. And that's not the point. I don't care how many places you read every day. If you just read one, that's enough. The point is God's told me to read in those places. And I've read Proverbs. I can't tell you how many times I've read Proverbs over my life. I've been a Christian for 60 years. I've read Proverbs, I can't tell you how many times I've read Proverbs, yet on Friday morning I was reading Proverbs 11, and I went through verse 12, and I was working on 13, and my brain came to a sudden and dead stop right there, because God said, go back, read verse 12 again, okay, so I went back, I read it again, and then he said, think about it for a minute, so I'm gonna read it to you. Proverbs 11, verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So I started looking at my neighbors. This is me in my daily reading. This is what I'm talking. I'm talking to you about that. There's a couple of points here, but the big point is we're talking about how you read every single day. Are you listening for God to tell you to stop? And think about something. I started thinking about my neighbors. They are absolutely wonderful people, and would and have helped us many times. And we have helped them. There we have a really nice little block, and I hope it never changes. Um, But all around me, all the people around me have a different faith. Believe it or not, we are all different. There's a couple of people that have been to church when they were younger. They don't go now. I know what their faith was. Not sure where they are now. Some people that have, they go to different churches around here. Um, We don't need to talk about where they go. They're just of differing faiths. Do I belittle them because their faith is different from mine? Nope. Don't do it. If you want to get to a place where you can have a meaningful conversation with those people about faith, then having them believe you think you're better than them is not a good place to start. It's just not a good place to start. I want to always remember that in God's eyes, I am as big or bigger a sinner than they ever have been or will be. If I look at that, I know I need that Savior. Keeps me humble. Makes me love my neighbors, which I do. Makes me watch my mouth, which I try to. Don't always work out so well, but I try. So when we read, read with purpose. Meditate on what you read. You want God to show you stuff, right? You're not just reading it because you're checking off a box. You want you want God to show you something. You want to know, how am I supposed to walk in my life today and tomorrow and the next day? You want God to, to show you those things. So read that word with purpose. This is what he's given us. I mean, he doesn't always take, hey, stop, go back and read. But he causes you to meditate on the things which you are reading. So if you read one verse a day or 100 verses a day, I wouldn't. Maybe do hundred, but if you read one verse a day, that's enough. If you're meditating on that verse and God is showing you stuff, that's great. If it takes you your entire life to read through this Bible, and, and some of it you never read, like you wouldn't want to read maybe necessarily Lamentations or something like that. But he, but actually, it's a good book. Um, but read. Read because he, you want him to show you things. You want him to talk to you. That's how he's going to do it. Pray read we want God to show us things we want we want to hear and why do we want to hear what does it say it says we want to hear that your soul may live now living here on earth is great i want my soul to live everlasting i want to listen i want to hear okay enough on that let's move on to the next line there it says I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, some of you may be reading that and thinking, okay, God made a covenant with David. I know that it's in the Old Testament. I can find it. If if I go somewhere, I I could probably Google it online and find covenant with David, and it would tell me right where to go to read it. But it's an Old Testament covenant. So isn't it just talking about the Jewish people? Yeah, well, you'd be partially correct if you thought that, but not totally correct. So let's explore that and see what happens. Verse four is speaking directly to the nation of Israel, it is, in that if they would follow Jehovah, the Davidic covenant would remain in force for them. But as we all know, Israel did not always follow after God, did they? Yeah, they didn't always keep up their end of the covenant. And so this is where it gets interesting. To see what I'm talking about, we're going to skip to verse 5, and that's why the slide in the second behind there isn't right, because I didn't add verse 5 into this, and I didn't know I was going to go to verse 5, but we are. There it says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So now who do you think God's talking about right there? You get it? Who is this nation that he's talking about? Just who is glorified because of the eternal plan of God and through the Holy One of Israel? Who's the Holy One of Israel, everybody? Jesus Christ. So who's glorified because of him? Who is that eternal plan talking about? Everybody turn around and look because you're looking at yourselves. It's all of us, right? So here we are. Did you know you were mentioned in Isaiah chapter 55? Nope, you didn't, but now you do. You are there. We are there. That's who God has coming to him, us, us. It's you and I. In a few weeks, oh, I don't know how long, Sherman's gonna get to the end parts of chapter eight there in his study of Romans. And in verse 30, he's gonna read these words. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what glorified. You are the glorified ones of God. God is glorifying you. So that's why you're here in Isaiah 55. God's talking to Israel. Yes, he really is. He's talking to them. He's reassuring them of the Davidic covenant. You can find that mentioned in Second Corinthians. Oh no, Second Chronicle 17. Um, Psalms 132, Psalms 89, look them up. It's all over the place. The more you read, the more you'll find it. And the more you find it, the more you'll read references to us in that, especially if you look at, I believe, Psalms 89, like verses 26 through 30, maybe, somewhere in there. Read, Read that. We're in there. We're all over in this Old Testament. God's plan from the beginning of time Was for the Gentiles to be involved in his plan of salvation. We were always there. We were 700 years here now. We're we're talking about before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, God, through this prophet, drops the bombshell on Israel that there's going to be another people who he's going to call and glorify and love just as much as he did them. (coughs) So, this everlasting covenant God made with David, it does apply to us. And we now need to take a quick look at it to find out what it is. How many of you know? I I knew some of it, but not all of it. And as much as I've read it, I, I didn't really catch all of it. So we need to see what it says and how it applies to us. And to do that, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 just because I like the context of it. Um, so I'll give you a minute so you can follow along. Since it's not up here, I and mean, you can't look up the board, I'm mean, going to give you a chance to open your Bible up and find Second Samuel seven. Second Samuel seven verses one through seventeen, and this is Nathan the prophet. You guys know Nathan the prophet. He's he's the one that that uh, checked down on David when David was messing around with Bathsheba. Um, so this is Nathan the prophet talking to david um i think i'm going to get to it but david had um well let's just read it okay second samuel verse one our seven verse one now when the king lived in his house and the lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies the king said to nathan the prophet see now i dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of god dwells in a tent And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but have been moving around in a tent for my dwelling? In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be the prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed more, no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you, meaning David, rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house When. I'm going to stop right there. We'll make you a house, meaning not a physical home, but like like uh, Game of Thrones, I guess. I never watched it, but the house of the line of David. Do you get that? I will make you a house. So in other words, you'll have a crest, okay? That's what we're talking about here, not a physical house. Anyway, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, David spoke, and Nathan spoke to David. Bottom line here is David wanted to build a permanent temple for God. He took the idea to Nathan who at first said, go for it, God's with you. Now we see that Nathan jumped the gun that's really cool to see that Nathan jumped the gun, because think about it. Nathan was the prophet of God. And if the prophet of God can jump the gun and you jump the gun, it's really not that big a deal. What happens to all of us, we think we know what God wants, but maybe we don't. Uh, the point here is to be patient, wait on the Lord when you're looking for answers. Don't just jump on, on whatever you think might look right. That's rabbit number two, Lori. <laughs> uh, David's credit, though. To David's credit, though, he sought wise counsel when he had a problem. When he had this idea, he was seeking wise counsel. He went to Nathan because he knew Nathan would listen to God as well. Nathan jumped the gun, but Nathan came back after the Lord told him, no, that's not really what I want, and went back to him. Seek wise counsel. If you've got a real problem, look around you. There are people here that you could seek their counsel, Um, and they would pray with you, and if God showed them something, they would be willing to talk to you about it, or just listen in some cases. It's okay for us to seek each other's counsel. It's okay for us to trust each other. It's it's really, you know, God doesn't mind that at all. He, He doesn't say you have to, you know, he says you've got to come to me, but he also knows that that he's put wisdom in in all of us who believe, especially if you're doing what you're told and looking at this every day and you're trying to follow it the best you can. God will give you wisdom. He he will make the day sufficient for you. He will make words. He will give you the words you need when you need them. Okay? So, okay, we're going to get to the covenant. Deep breath. First, God says he will make David's name great. And he has. How many of you knew of David before? I spoke his name this morning. You all knew about David, right? Everybody knows. Then he says he will give David rest. And he did. At the end of his life, he gave him rest. And David was a great warrior. I mean, that's what David was called to do. He was to be a warrior. At first, he was a warrior who ran from Saul. And then he was a warrior who fought all the kingdoms around him. And it took a toll on him. I I don't know of anybody, if you've been in battles of any kind or even been near a battle, it takes a toll on you. I can tell you that. You can read in many of the Psalms that David wrote where he describes the problems he was having, either at the time where he had had, and the anguish that those problems caused him. God wanted David to rest. He was not the guy appointed to build the temple. But he told him, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you rest. And then we get to the promise that talks to us. That's in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 7. It says, He, meaning Solomon, shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then verse 16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever there are three things here that are talk he says establishes throne of his kingdom forever your house and your kingdom forever and your throne forever so we look at the length of time of this covenant that's the first thing what is that it says forever it's mentioned three times just in verse 16 forever the kingdom, the th- I mean, the covenant is forever. It was not just in effect from that moment onward, but it was in God's plan from the beginning of time. The covenant was not dependent upon what David or Solomon did either. You don't read that in this covenant at all. It is not dependent on that. You look at verse 14 where God says, when Solomon does wrong, I'll discipline him, but I'm still going to love him. Isn't that how God is with us today? When we do wrong, Doesn't he discipline us normally through the natural consequences of our sin? He will discipline us. But does he still love us? Yeah, he says, I will love you with an everlasting love. Come on, what's better than that? But if we look at Psalms 132, we see that there is a condition for the sons of David after Solomon to keep this throne. Psalms 132, verses 11 and 12 read, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back, okay? One of the sons of your body I will set on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant, there's a condition, and the testimonies that I shall teach them, condition number two, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. So here's where it gets interesting again. We know that the descendants of David and Solomon did not always keep up their end of the covenant, and they did not always keep the testimonies of God. We also know, if you read through Scripture, the, you, that every time they stopped following God, the nation was torn apart, oftentimes taken into captivity like in Babylon. And So we know Jerusalem was leveled at one point because we know that Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, okay? So every single time that they stopped keeping that promise, That nation was torn apart. In fact, we know today, is there a king, a descendant of David, sitting on a throne in Jerusalem right now? Is there? No, there isn't. There isn't. In fact, Jerusalem is kind of a divided city, if you think about it right now. So just how is God going to keep this promise of an everlasting house of David with a king on an everlasting throne in an everlasting kingdom? I think you guys will probably get where I'm going here in a minute. Well, since all these kings were not perfect and thus their removal from the throne, doesn't it make sense that there would need to be a perfect king to sit on the perfect throne of the perfect everlasting kingdom? So what we need here is a perfectly righteous, obedient son of David to sit on the throne, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and all throughout the Bible— tell us all this. They tell us this. You can go read it. Uh, I think Ezekiel 30-something, Jeremiah like 22. Go find it. You'll find it. They all tell us that we need that perfectly righteous, obedient son of David to sit on that perfectly everlasting throne. In fact, Isaiah, and you all will know this verse, goes on to identify this individual in chapter 6 where he writes, for unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. Y'all know who we're talking about, Nair? Yeah, we're talking about Christ. John Piper says this about the the conditional yet everlasting covenant. So, the surety of the covenant with David lies ultimately in the fact that God Himself will come as king and sit upon the throne. When a covenant is conditional and yet is also certain, you can be sure God Himself will intervene to fulfill the conditions. So, there are many other places where we can find proof texts that the king on the throne will be Jesus. I'll give you a couple real quick. Luke 1, 32. You all know this one too. Mary's talking, well, the angel Gabriel is actually talking to Mary. And he says, the Lord God will give her a son. We know that's Jesus. The the throne of his father, David. Very clear. In Romans 1, 3, when Sherman taught that, I don't know, a year or more ago, we're told that Christ is descended from David. So Christ sits on the throne of David. And and that's important for us. But how does it really affect us? Do we really fit in? Do we really belong here? I mean, I know the Bible's telling us that, but sometimes you kind of wonder, well, I'm going to answer that question for you. And and so when when somebody comes along and asks you, how how do you know you fit into all of this? And how do you know that, that salvation is for all of us? Okay? I want everybody to turn to Acts chapter 15. I'll set the scene for you a little bit. It's not in my notes, but I'll try to remember. Um, they're all in Jerusalem, and the talk is about whether Gentiles who become saved need to be circumcised. Okay? That's where we're at. That's the discussion. <clears throat> I'll wait till you all stop flipping. I really want you to follow along with this one. Acts chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 18. You ready? There it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no dissension, uh, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers because they were telling them about how the Gentiles were coming to believe. That's important. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. And when Peter stood up and talked, they really all listened. Okay? Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you But we will, they couldn't, he's saying, we can't even keep the law of Moses. Why are you going to make them do it? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And the assembly all fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, Now, this is James, who was the brother, okay, of Jesus, replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name. And with this word, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Um, This next quote, you can look in your notes. It's actually from Amos the book of Amos in the Old Testament. James is now quoting scripture. He says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind, not just Israelites, may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. The apostles knew salvation was for everybody. It wasn't just a couple of them, but they all knew. And they declared it to all of us here in in Acts chapter 15. It's just another proof text. God has included us in his plan from the very beginning. So thank God every day that you're included in that plan. And there's going to come a day when you rule and you reign with him in an everlasting covenant, in an everlasting kingdom. On an everlasting, he'll be on an everlasting throne. And we've covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of ground. So what do we do about it? So we're going to go back to the verse that we skipped. Verse 4. Where it says, in Isaiah 55, again, verse 4 says, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, So what was the result of the covenant for David In David's heart? He was a witness to the people. Not just then, but now throughout time, David's life is a witness to us of God's grace and his mercy. Look what David did. I mean, look look at the atrocious acts that the man committed just so he could have a woman. He had a guy killed. I mean, that's crazy. He committed murder. I mean... That's nuts. But yet God still loved him. God made a covenant with him that is everlasting, which we are included in. And he is a witness. His life is a witness to each and every one of us. So you say to yourself, I'm barely a witness now. Mm -mm -mm. I'm talking to me. How can I be a witness after I'm gone? I'm going to give you an example. I I brought show and tell today. I did, I brought a picture, um, and I brought a letter. This, and I i don't know if the camera will catch it. That's a picture. Um, let's see, how old would that picture be now? 90 years, probably? Yeah, it's real old, see the back. I had to staple it back together this week. That little guy, It's a guy in the little dress. (laughs) They used to dress little guys like that when they were doing baptisms and stuff like that. They still do in England. Uh, That's my dad. He passed away about a year and a half ago. He was almost 90. Um, That guy that's there in the picture with him is my great grandfather. I absolutely did not know anything about my great grandfather before my dad passed. My dad was not a talking man about a lot of things like that. I really did not know much about him. In fact, I had never seen this picture until about six, eight months ago, maybe a year, earlier this year or something. Um, it was in a trunk, buried in a trunk that my dad had in his bedroom. And so what do you say about that? Well, I say, let me read to you something. And I think I'm going to try to get through this because every time I read it, First of all, I get convicted <clears throat> that I'm not doing enough. But this is, a, this is a, an obituary for that man right there, that older gentleman, his name was William John Bates. He lived in Ohio and my great grandmother sent this to my grandmother in Modesto in 1945. And I'm just gonna read some of it, just so you kind of get a picture of who this man was. And I knew nothing about him, like I said, until earlier this year. Uh, He was born in Ohio, June 17th, 1863, and he died in 1945 in April. He was 81, almost 82 years old. Um, He had five sons, one of whom was my grandfather, Hugh M. Bates Sr. I'm the third. Early in his life, Mr. Bates became an earnest Christian, and with his Christian wife, made his home life one of wholesome Christian customs and atmosphere. As long as his health would permit, his active participation in public worship and practical Christian service characterized his life. His Christian life was thorough, practical, and winsome. <clears throat> this, is the, this is the actual thing that the minister read at the funeral of my great-grandfather in, in 1945. By the way, he lived through the Civil War, so you get that. He was born at the very beginning of the Civil War. Um, Let's see if I can pick the part in it, really. To say that he was a real Christian is to put in modest terms what many of us knew him to be. We all know, of course, that the true measure of any man is not to be found in the measure of his secular achievements, apart from his character. Brother Bates was not a rich man. He must not be rated on that basis, however. Wealth may not be the index of honor or wisdom. He who lives to large meanings without wealth may be the real hero of life. He did not achieve a prominent place in power or society or state, but he did so live that both society and state are stronger and cleaner because of his influence. I don't think I can read much more of this. You're welcome to read it. Every time I read it, I say, dude, you don't even measure up to this. This is my great-grandfather. I did not know who he was. But the Bible teaches us that the things that we pass on to our kids get passed on to our grandkids, in this case, get passed on to our great-grandkids. And we are responsible to pass them on to our kids and our, our, great- our grandkids and our great-grandkids if we live long enough. And that's what it's talking about here in Isaiah. It's talking about we live our life the way that we know we're supposed to live our life. We pursue God. We don't live a willy-nilly Christian life. We pursue God. Study his word. Become that glorified Christian that God intends for you to be. That's what gets passed on. That's what happens when we do it the way my great grandfather did. Live your life as a witness to his grace and his glory now. And you will be remembered as a witness of his grace and his glory forever.